0: This week, the EPA released a set of proposals that could cap emissions for new cars. And in order to meet those targets, automakers will need to ramp up electrical vehicle manufacturing by a lot. Some 60% of new cars would need to be electric by 2030. Joining me now to talk through these new rules and other top science news of the week is Casey Crownhart, climate reporter for the MIT Technology Review, and she's here with us in our New York studios. Welcome. Good to see you, Thank finally. Yes,
1: in person. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, let's get right to this. What What's in these new EPA emission rules?
1: Mm-hmm. These are basically new tailpipe emission rules, um, and like you said, they mean that Car makers are going to have to really ramp up their EV production. Uh, these rules would take effect in 2027 and ramp up from there. Um, and the EPA is basically telling car makers, look, of all the cars that you put out on the road, there's a, a cap on how much pollution they can put out. and Some of that is CO2 pollution. Um, and if they don't, they'll, they'll be penalized. So it means mm. we'll see a lot more electric vehicles yeah, on the road.
0: That's the only way to get up to the cap then.
1: Basically. You could technically do fuel cell cars, but those are really, really rare still.
0: Yeah. And so uh, what about... Uh, how do you shake up the auto, indus- auto industry to make them get on board with this?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of adding to a growing ecosystem of EV policy. So you might remember last year the Inflation Reduction Act passed with all of those tax credits for mm-hmm. new e- electric vehicles. Um, and so this kind of adds to that. And it says, you know, hey, automakers, you need to meet these rules, even though the, these, this was kind of going this way anyway.
0: Yeah. And in order to get to that uh, that goal, we're going to have to – had a lot of charging stations aren't we? Mm-hmm.
1: I wrote about this this week. This is, there are a lot of potential barriers to getting up to the levels of EVs that we need to, battery materials for example, but I think chargers is one of those big challenges that people are really aware of today. You know we have less than 150,000 public chargers available. Um, by some Im- estimates we'll need to have a couple of million mm. on the road by 2030.
0: And a and, uh, president biden's act will actually help fund those right
1: yeah so la- there's been some some legislation passed that helps to fund that but even the biden administration's goals they want to get half a million chargers on the road by 2030 and that probably won't be enough
0: wow 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 two million 10 million personal chargers in your homes
1: yeah yeah, yeah. lots and lots of plugging in to do
0: a lot of work for electricians <laughs> yes, <yeah. laughs> hey the story you uh you brought us also is about the water usage disparities in cape town south africa Researchers found that rich people used a lot more water than poorer people. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, this was a pretty surprising finding. Um, we know that climate change and population growth are affecting um, water supplies in cities, but this new study found that uh, economic status was almost as big of a factor. So these researchers looked at Cape Town in particular, and they found that though the richest people made up only about 14 percent of the population. They were using over half the water in the city. So it was a pretty striking difference.
0: Wow. You know, uh, shocked, shocked rich people use more water. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm shocked. I mean, you think about the things that they spend their money on, like, uh, you know, golf courses or or, Mm -hmm. or big lawns. It should not be that surprising and should be uh, applicable to the rest of the world.
1: Yeah. 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 The researchers said that they're not exactly sure how the specific numbers will translate, but this should be true in a lot of other places too. And this finding could help policymakers kind of figure out how to better address water shortages around the world.
0: Did they have a number for how much more rich people use water than poor people?
1: It's like 10 times more. 10 times? 10 times more. So it was like around 500 gallons a day for the richest people, less than 50 gallons a day for, for the lower uh, income yeah. groups.
0: A lot of swimming pools and lawn fountains and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And
1: irrigation, yeah. Huh.
0: Um, and this week here in New York, it, it feels like we've got gone straight from spring to summer I mean, it's like almost ninety mm-hmm. as we as yeah. we speak, and, and you know what that means? Of course, I already I already experienced this last night. I got my first mosquito bite. You did, I, yeah. Of I just sitting outside uh, of this season, and I, this could be bad—a bad season for mosquitoes, right?
1: Yeah, for- yeah. I saw this story this week from an outlet called Heat Map News, and. It's happening already. Um, This season could be really bad for mosquitoes. Um, They need standing water and temperatures above about 50 degrees to start their breeding cycles and and crawl out of the woodwork, so to say. Um, And this year, because we've seen record snowpack in the West, Mm. that is a good indicator that it's going to be a bad mosquito season. I would have never thought of that. It's the flooding. So when it melts, it comes down the mountain and it floods. And then you've got a bunch of standing water around. And, and that, it and
0: it doesn't take much standing water, does no, it? No,
1: it's not like it needs a pond. There can be little puddles and things, and that's where mosquitoes can breed. I so heard that, it doesn't take a lot. Yeah,
0: I heard that even in a bottle cap turned upside really? down. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to mosquito experts. That's all the water you oh need to, to get mosquitoes hatching, you know. So, it's gonna. It could be. It could be a bad season, especially with the high temperatures. They're out. Yep. and working. Yeah, it could be bad. And not only mosquitoes, but ticks are spreading beyond their usual habitats. Right? Tick-related diseases on the rise.
1: Yeah, I'm bringing you all the bad bugs this week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, we're seeing more tick-borne diseases. Um, rep- Cases reported to the CDC more than doubled between 2004 and 2019. Um, the majority of that is Lyme disease, but there's all kinds of diseases that ticks can spread. Alpha-gal syndrome, that red meat allergy, um, a few other ones as well. Um, and there are a few reasons for this. You know, deer populations are expanding. We're seeing warmer weather, kind of all the all the usual culprits. So um, yeah. it's that time of year. So if you're going outside, check for ticks.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, Lyme disease,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that one is. I think, especially in some places in West Virginia, especially cases are are exploding by like multiple hundred percentage points. So that's amazing. In certain areas, it's becoming much more of a problem than it ever was.
0: So where long. Long mm-hmm. socks up to your knees if you're not wearing, you know, you're wearing yep. shorts.
1: Long pants if you can. Long sleeves. Wear bug spray and and check when you get home is the biggest thing.
0: Oh yeah, bug spray and, and because those Lyme disease ticks are so tiny, mm-hmm. you really have to check. You have to their... check
1: carefully because they're small when they attach to you until they. Swell up
0: with blood. Okay, we're, just, mm-hmm. we're going to be dosing bug spray this summer. Mm-hmm. Joy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's get away from these pesky insects and uh, arachnids. Let's talk about some undeniably charismatic creatures. Yes. And let's start off with turtles, often found sunning themselves on a log. But you're going to tell us that turtles also bask in the moonlight?
1: Isn't it romantic? I hear the music. (laughs) What's that song
0: about basking in the moonlight? I I hear that. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So researchers, like you said, a lot of reptiles, turtles included, they'll bask in the sunshine. helps them regulate their body temperature. Um, But some researchers started to notice that turtles seem to be doing this at at night as well. So they put together this massive study, tracked turtles in North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia. Um, And they took hundreds of thousands of photographs, tracked 29 freshwater species of turtle, and they found that turtles mostly around the equator tend to get out of the water and bask in the moonlight.
0: That's crazy. I mean, because, I mean, (laughs) don't, don't, you know, turtles bask in the sun to regulate their body temperature. Mm -hmm. Are they getting... Heat from the moonlight? I That's,
1: it seems like maybe because it is happening in the warmer places, so it might also have something to do with temperature regulation. But the researchers want to figure out why they're t- why they're doing this and which kind of turtles are more likely to, to bask in the moonlight.
0: Wow. So you could go out at night now and maybe see turtles basking in the moonlight?
1: Mm-hmm. Mostly if you're close to the equator, but yes. All right.
0: Gotta, well, let's take a trip let's on take that. A trip. <laughs> you, The final story you have is uh, this is another delightful animal behavior. And this, I, I, and, and until I saw, or you say go watch the video on mm-hmm. this, you're not quite sure how this can happen. And this is an elephant at the Berlin Zoo figured out how to peel a banana.
1: Yes. Yes, this I, is.
0: <laughs> I can think that your feet, the elephant's feet, could be fine enough to peel a banana, but that's not how they do
1: it? No, she, she does it with her trunk. So she kind of picks it up by the end and like sort of flicks it. Um, this is not a common elephant behavior. It seems like she picked it up from her caretakers that... You know, raised her and would feed her peeled bananas. My favorite part of the story is she doesn't do it all the time. She only does it when ba- the bananas are yellow with some brown spots on it. So only certain bananas she'll peel.
0: So she knows when it's ripe. Yes. You know, right? Yeah, she you can know? tell
1: when it's ripe. And she won't do it around other elephants either. It's just like she'll eat the bananas with the peel on when she's with other elephants. And then she'll save one and go and peel it later by herself.
0: Is she showing off her pe- for, you know, Do people actually at the zoo watch her do this? Yeah. I don't
1: know if she's done it in front of like guests at the zoo. Um, <laughs> but the, the researchers got video of it, which is what I'm saying. You need to go see this video. I it's go wild.
0: See, so how does she do it in the video? What does she do in the video? How does, how does she actually peel it?
1: She picks it up with her trunk by the end of it, and she kind of like flicks it so that a piece of the peel kind of comes off. And then she kind of repeats the process, kind of like how you would peel a banana. You know, you take one chunk Right. Of it and you peel the peel down. She's basically doing the same thing.
0: <laughs> Her next act: peeling a grape, maybe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that I would like to see.
0: Yeah. we have a few minutes to talk. To talk with you. Uh, what other kinds of projects are you working on? What's on? What's your next story that you might be working on?
1: Ooh, I actually just published one this week that I had a lot of fun working on. Um, it was about a new way that people are trying to store energy in heavy industry. So a lot of manufacturing processes, they need a lot of heat to run, whether right. it's like food processing or making steel, and a lot of that is fossil fuels today. So a couple of companies, what they're doing is they're taking renewable electricity when they, when it's available, like when the sun is shining, and they're using it to heat up stacks of bricks.
0: Stacks of bricks?
1: Yep, it's stacks of bricks or other kinds of blocks that are made out of other materials and so these bricks can get super, super hot like over a thousand degrees Celsius and then they can use the heat later on.
0: So are the bricks in the room with you or are they They're in like
1: a separate container. It's a very well insulated like steel box basically.
0: Well, because I've heard about water. You know, Mm -hmm. water is a great story. You know, the people making columns of water Mm -hmm. in a room and the sun will come in. It's like passing of radiation. Mm-hmm. This is not passive.
1: Though. It's not passive. It's sort of like the mechanism that's in your toaster. Um, like you run electricity through the toaster coil and it, right. and it heats it up. It turns electricity into heat. It's the same sort of thing. So it has a little coil in there that heats and then the heat radiates through the bricks.
0: Is this is, is just in its testing phase? You can't go out and buy a, a brick heater? <laughs>
1: you can't buy a brick heater just yet. There are a couple <laughs> of companies that have um, pilots running or they're working on it. There's one called Rondo Energy out in California that just started up their first commercial pilot. You system. know, I,
0: I love to watch necessity forcing invention, right? It's
1: fascinating. What I love about it is it's such a simple idea. It's a stack of bricks. And that's it's just one of the possible there you go. solutions.
0: Thank you, Casey. Great way to top off our, our discussion.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Casey Crownhart, climate reporter for MIT Technology Review.